Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Anya, and you're listening to WET. When I tell people I study marine science, nine out of 10 times they assume I know everything there is to know about every single species of fish to have ever existed. And while I will say that I do know a lot more about fish than the average person, I am by no means a fish encyclopedia. But today, I'm going to try and live up to the all-knowing fish fantasy some of y'all seem to have about marine scientists and lay down some funky fishy facts for you. Buckle up and get ready to dive in for a crash course in fish science. And by the end of this episode, when it comes to fish, you'll know the difference between fact and fiction. So back in college, I took a class that was all about fishes. And on the first day of class, our professor posed us all the question, what is a fish? And I thought to myself, what is a fish? I had literally no idea. I mean, I knew in the broad sense what a fish was. I've been to an aquarium. I even had a small one as a kid. But scientifically, I wasn't really sure what made a fish a fish. A few things came to mind, but because fish come in all shapes and sizes, I wasn't all that confident with my answers. Luckily, I wasn't being singled out and everyone else seemed to be struggling as well. So as a class, we brainstormed some criteria. With help from our professor, we made a list of a few things that make fish fish. First was that fish are any vertebrate that is not a tetrapod, which is just a science-speak way of saying that to be classified as a fish, an animal has to have a backbone but cannot have four legs. Second, we noted that fish are not a monophyletic group, which is more science-speak, but it essentially means that fish evolved independently more than once from a different ancestor species. And lastly, we observed that fish usually obtain oxygen through their gills, live in water, and are ectotherms, aka cold-blooded. So boom, there you have it. In just a few criteria, fish. I'm giving you all of this, perhaps in your eyes, oddly specific background, because I think it pulls back the blinds a bit on taxonomy, the branch of science concerned with classifying organisms, and shows the complicated and creative methods that scientists must use to classify animals. Thinking about fish in this way also really helped me define what most fish have in common while still differentiating them from other ocean creatures, which was somewhat challenging for a group of animals that varies vastly in shape, color, and size. And boy, do these little and big dudes vary. There is a lot, and I mean a lot, of variation within fishes because there are so many different species. The most often quoted estimate is 20,000, but in actuality, there may be as many or more than 40,000 species of fish. And these babies have range, let me tell you. For example, 
The smallest fish in the world is the tiny goby, which lives in the Philippines. True to its namesake, the adult tiny goby rarely exceeds half an inch in length. Talk about tiny. And tiny may they be, but mighty all the same, as the tiny goby is so abundant, it actually supports an entire commercial fishery. And then, on the opposite end of the spectrum, we also have the world's largest fish, the whale shark. Whale sharks weigh several tons and can grow to be over 50 feet long. That's more than half the distance between home plate and first base on a major league baseball field, and 1,200 times bigger than the tiny goby. Then, of course, we have all the fishes of sizes in between. On top of size variation, some of you who already know a little bit about fish might have noticed another difference between tiny gobies and whale sharks. Tiny gobies are a type of bony fish, and whale sharks are a type of cartilaginous fish. This classification was made based on skeletons, as bony fish have skeletons made up of bones, duh, where cartilaginous fish have skeletons made up of cartilage instead. See what I mean about the variation? It's seemingly endless. There's also a wide variety of shapes that fishes can have too. There are fishes that are compressed, there are fishes that are depressed, there are fishes that are fusiform, globiform, and anguilliform. All of these shapes form slowly over evolutionary time to help different groups of fish be successful at different things. Compressed fishes, for example, are shaped like swimming pieces of paper. Think angelfish. Having a compressed form helps fish navigate complex habitats like reefs. Depressed fishes, on the other hand, like rays and flounders, lay flat on the ground. Been there. Being depressed can help fishes camouflage on the seafloor. We also have fusiform fish, like open ocean sharks that are long and skinny and streamlined. They're usually predators. Globiform shaped fish, like pufferfish, which are big and round and plump. And anguilliform fish that are eel-like. So eels, pretty much. <laughs> The ocean has a range of diverse habitats like the open ocean, the seafloor, coral reefs, kelp forests, etc. And different body shapes provide different benefits depending on the habitat the fish lives in and the role they play within that habitat. So that's why we see so many different shapes in fishes. On top of variation in size, skeleton, and shape, fishes also range in their scale type, mouth position, color, and more. I'm not going to get into all these differences today, but the point here is that fish don't always look like the snack that smiles back. Goldfish. There's plenty of fish in the sea, and with so much variation, fishes fill many integral roles in marine and freshwater ecosystems. Fantastic. Hold on. Now before we go any further with this fishery lesson, I think it's time I answered a burning question that all of you wetlings have been sitting on, and that is, fish or fishes? Which is it? During the first part of this episode, you may have heard me switch between saying fish and fishes, and perhaps if you're a grammar fanatic, you've been pondering my prose. Well, let me tell you what the deal is here. The word fish usually implies a single species, but it can be singular or plural in terms of individuals. The word fishes, on the other hand, is always plural because it refers to multiple species. I know it's kind of a lot to wrap your head around, but with a little practice, you'll get the hang of it. The first research project I ever conducted as an undergraduate focused on body shapes of fishes, and ultimately I presented my research at this conference, which meant I had to have a lot of practice switching between fish and fishes. That being said, I still mess up from time to time, but it's good to know the difference. So once again, for a good measure, fish 
equals singular or plural individuals of a singular species, and fishes equals multiple species, hence multiple individuals. You'll be sounding like an ichthyologist in no time. Ooh, sorry about that. Ichthyologist equals fish scientist. Maybe this should just be a vocab podcast. All right, after nearly eight minutes of me blabbing, do we all know what a fish is? Maybe you already knew. Either way, you know now. So now that we all know that we all know what a fish is, I think it's time I get into what else there is to know about this creature that we all know of now, no? Sorry, I'll stop. To continue on with this hodgepodge of facts of an episode, I think it's time I tell you about some of the earliest species of fish. Some true fishstery, if you will. Using the fossil record, scientists have created a timeline that estimates the rise of fish throughout evolutionary time, and this began with the origin of fishes hundreds of millions of years ago. Before the ocean had fishes, it had other animals that were sessile, like sponges and tunicates. The story goes that the free-swimming larvae of these sessile creatures retained the juvenile trait of swimming and lost the sessile adult stage. And then, over the next hundreds of millions of years, we see the radiation of fishes. So then, what was the first fish and when did it evolve? The answer to that is still somewhat controversial, but many scientists, including the scientists at UC Davis that I learned this information from, argue that hagfishes were the first fish ever and that they emerged over 450 million years ago. And yes, they are still alive and thriving in our oceans to this day. So because I can't zap an image of a hagfish directly into your brain, I'm going to implore you to use your imagination here. So remember what I said about hagfishes arriving about 450 million years ago? So hagfishes are like stage one for fish. They are like the plainest, most basic fish that could be a fish, so much so that they don't really have a lot of defining features. Basically, hagfish are eel-shaped, which means that they just are kind of long and thin, and they don't really have any defining features beyond these little sensory barbels around their mouth and 10 to 14 gill slits along their sides. They don't even really have fins. They don't have a jaw, and they don't have a backbone. Though they do have rudimentary vertebrae, which is what allows them to be classified as fish. But it's actually this lack of a true backbone and the loose skin that hagfishes have that probably allows them one of their two unique talents because yes these fish are talented so the talent that i'm referring to now is the fact that hagfishes can tie themselves into knots to make up for their lack of jaws hagfishes can twist into a knot which then enables them to tear the flesh off of rotting carcasses how exactly does this do the trick Well, by tying its own body in a knot where the lower jaw would be in other animals, hagfish create a solid surface that works with its teeth to grip their food. You can imagine it's a pretty insane sight to see footage of, but it's also such a cool ecological strategy. And being naughty is not the only talent of the humble hagfish, as hagfishes can also produce copious amounts of slime. So much so that they are even sometimes called slime eels, even though they're not eels. 
Their ability to produce slime helps hagfishes escape from hungry predators because once the hagfish excretes the slime, it expands 10,000 times larger in under a second, which creates a lethal choking hazard to any creature trying to snack on a hagfish. So clearly, the first fish ever came onto the scene with a bang, but the fishery lesson doesn't stop here. Lampreys are another type of ancestral fish that emerged on the scene about 360 million years ago. Like hagfish, they too are still around to this day. Yay! Lamprey are similarly shaped to hagfish and also lack a jaw, but lampreys do have a vertebrae. Yay! They also have a very unique, to be honest, kind of scary looking mouth. Their mouths are disc shaped with rows and rows of sharp exposed teeth. Not surprisingly, lampreys are parasitic to other fishes, using their disc-shaped suction cup mouth to clasp onto an unsuspecting victim. Using their rough tongue, the lampreys then sand away the fish's flesh so that it can feed on its host's blood and bodily fluids. How lovely. According to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, one lamprey kills about 40 pounds of fish a year. Not bad for a jawless fish. Next up in our line of ancestral fishes is actually an entire superclass of fishes called ostracoderms. But unfortunately, they are all extinct. Despite their deadness, ostracoderms are worth mentioning as they were a pretty unusual group of fish and there isn't really anything out there that looks like them. You see, ostracoderms had armor. The bony plates that made up this armor covered these fish from face to fins, resulting in some fish that looked like they were ready for war. They lived during the Paleozoic until about maybe 400 million years ago. And they were a super diverse superclass of fish, so I'm not going to make too many generalizations about them, but I did want to briefly bring them up just in case at your next medieval themed party you wanted to show off as an armor clad fish. Astrachoderms is the way to go. Now we'll move a bit more quickly through our tour of ancestral fishes, continuing on with chimeras, aka ghost sharks, aka ratfishes, aka rabbit fishes. Yes, it is the fish so nice they named it twice, three times, four times. Wow, that must be a record. Chimeras have a cartilaginous skeleton and are thought to have broken off from chondrichthys, sharks, rays, and skates, about 420 million years ago. LOL, 420. Chimeras have a long, thin tail and usually have huge eyes. I actually think they're pretty cute. Not only are they cute, but they lay eggs, which is not that typical of a trait for fish, so pretty cool. And their nose can detect electricity. They're a pretty poorly studied group of fishes too, so all my aspiring ichthyologists, get on it. This is your chance. <laughs> Next up in our fishery lesson are the aforementioned chondrichthys. And to be honest, I really just like saying chondrichthys. Chondrichthys, chondrichthys, chondrichthys. I don't know why, but it just does it for me. Anyways, back to it. As I mentioned, chondrichthys, hee hee, is a class that contains sharks, rays, and skates, and they appeared on the scene about 450 million years ago. And again, I just want to remind all my listeners that there's a lot of discussion around these estimates, so I'm mainly going off of what I learned at UC Davis. Shout out WFC 120! But there are undisputed fossils of sharks that were found in the Devonian. So, there you go. From their humble beginnings, chondrichthys have since grown to include 14 orders and over 1,200 species. They have skeletons made of cartilage, placoid scales that have blood flow, like our teeth, and ampullae of Lorenzini. 
I have been waiting for this moment in this fishy episode that I would finally be able to talk about the ampullae of Lorenzini because I think it's such a cool and pretty unknown fish fact. All right, let's do it. Ampullae of Lorenzini are special electroreception organs present in chondrichthys. They're also in a few other species of fish like chimera I said before, but I'm talking about them here because it's pretty common amongst chondrichthys. Anyways, Ampullae of Lorenzini were first described in 1678 by none other than a man named, get this, Stefano Lorenzini. Unknowing of their function, Lorenzini noted that an individual ampulla consists of a pore that is open to the environment and a canal containing a jelly-like substance leading to a little pouch which he dumped ampullae after ancient Roman flasks with a similar shape. These ampullae of Lorenzini remained a mystery for nearly 300 years until science finally showed that they helped detect very weak electrical fields produced by potential prey or a predator trying to sneak up from behind. Scientists continue to research these electroreception organs to better understand them and even develop potential applications for chondrichthys conservation with them. But even though scientists now know that ampullae of Lorenzini allow chondrichthys to sense electricity, we still don't actually know what it's like to experience that ourselves. Like sounds and smells are so complex, is electricity the same? It's a whole other sense hidden from us humans, exclusively experienced by these underwater creatures. And I think that's pretty fantastic. Even though that last fish fact was electric, I want to close this episode out with perhaps my favorite fish fact. Or rather, it's a slang used in the world of fish to pay homage to the rock stars of reproduction out there. Pay attention, because this may come in handy during a marine-themed trivia night. Alright, here it is. I'd like to introduce you all to the boffs! Again, that term is boff! B-O-F-F-F, and it stands for big ol' fat fecund female, fecund meaning fertile. And yes, I am being fully serious. Boff is a term used in fisheries to describe the biggest, fattest female fishes who produce more and larger eggs than the average female, hence playing a super important role in stabilizing fish populations. If too many of these boffs are lost from a population of fish, from overfishing or maybe other factors, the population faces potential collapse because the smaller and average sized female fish just can't produce as many eggs as the boffs. That's why here at WET we celebrate boffs and their contributions to a healthy ocean. Hashtag boffbish. As you can see, there is a lot to know about fish just simply because there are so many of them and they are all so different. So next time you go to an aquarium, your marine biologist friend might not know everything about each fish just simply because there are so many and this is only one aspect of marine science that a lot of us study. Nonetheless, fish are pretty cool and uh, yeah, I see why everyone always asks me about them. There's a lot to know about them and clearly I really love them. Um, thanks for listening today. I hope these facts will serve you well at your next trivia night or the next aquarium date you go on. And uh, remember folks, you can tune a piano, but you can't tune a fish. Thanks for tuning in.
Hello? Is anyone still there? I think I've lost most of you by now. So this is when I'm going to address the controversy of last episode, the health help episode. In my last episode, I was talking about sea urchins and I was talking about how they love smacking on kelp. And I said that kelp is the coup de la gras of seafood for urchins. Um, now, before I put this in the episode, I asked my partner who took French in high school if I was using that correctly. And he said yes. But apparently, not only did I use it incorrectly, but I also said it wrong. So two corrections here. It's coup de gras, and that apparently means final punch, which is not what I meant. I meant creme de la creme. So double controversy here. This is probably the biggest controversy in wet history, except for the time that I called NOAA the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Association, even though it's National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, and I work for them. I literally have a at NOAA.gov email, so definitely shouldn't have got that wrong. Um, but yes, just here to clear up the controversy. Um, thanks for listening. Also, I might as well do the credits now. Um, this episode has... Uh, citations a through k i don't know how many that is you can count them if you want a b c d e f g you do the math um i would also like to do a huge shout out to wfc 120 it's a class that i took in undergrad and go professor ripel i learned a lot of stuff from that class uh, that made me love fish even more and i also wanted to thank michael sanchez for doing the music i did the writing and editing and voicing and producing and blah 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 all those credits i normally say done by me and all my sounds are from free sound or created here in my house this is my last episode of wet from my san francisco apartment so i also want to give a huge shout out to my neighbors and everyone driving by that was making sounds at the stoplight that you will hear in the back of the episode um yeah thanks for listening mary redeemed a fifty thousand dollar cash prize playing chumba casino this year i was only playing for fun so winning this was a dream come true chumba casino is america's number one social casino experience it's serious fun with over 80 casino style games to choose from you too could win life-changing amounts of cash be like mary log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a world that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary void or prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details the voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner 